Hello and welcome to Sports Waves, Malibu's only sports talk podcast. As we record here, our fourth episode of 2022, recording from the Pepperdine Graphic Media podcast studio. And it is a historic week in the United States as we've got Super Bowl Sunday coming up this weekend. Should be a national holiday. I think we should have the day after it off. But it's coming to Los Angeles, and I've got two Southern California natives with me today, my co-host Austin Lede and our guest today, Sophia Longo, to talk about football. We're going to pretty much talk about football for the entire episode. So I hope you're a football fan. And Sophia, I know you're a football and a baseball fan. We're going to focus on football in this episode. Why don't you introduce yourself and just let us know your role for Pepperdine Graphic Media and where your sports loyalties lie. Yeah, thank you so much, Carl. I'm so excited to be here. So my name is Sophia, and right now I'm a a pixel assistant for the graphic as well as I do social media with Carl. Um, I've been a lifelong Chargers fan, so I guess you could say I'm a diehard Charger fan. So there are my loyalties, and you know that I'm happy that the Chiefs lost. But we'll get into that, I'm sure. <laughs> Got it. Yeah, you don't hear that super often, I mean, in these parts. Are you also an Angels fan? Just out I of... am. Got it. Okay, are you originally from Orange County? Yes, Huntington Beach. Got so. it. Okay, the OC are pretty loyal to the Chargers and the Angels. So we've got a Charger fan and a Ram fan here on the podcast for a Los Angeles Super Bowl, which, which is exciting. Let's first recap what happened in the conference championships game in the conference championship games for how we got here. I actually have a question for both of y'all, a trivia question, uh, just to start things off. Do either of you know what the Bengals record was last year in 2020, 2021? Um can I can I guess? Go for it. Um last year. With they had Joe Burrow. He was injured uh, partway through the season. I don't actually remember which week he got injured. Four and eleven. Well, four and twelve. Very close. They, you guys were literally both on it. It was 4-11-1. So there's 16 okay. games. They're 4-11-1. Uh, and obviously, Burrow was injured for part of that. Yeah. So it just makes it even more impressive how far he's come in his second season coming off the injury and how far head coach Zach Taylor and this whole roster really have come. A lot of unsung heroes. So they, the Cincinnati Bengals, are one of our participants in the Super Bowl. The other are the hometown L.A. Rams playing in their home stadium. But let's let's go over what happened in the AFC and NFC Championship games since it's been more than a week since then and two very intriguing games that really went down to the wire let's start with the afc championship game the chiefs are in their home stadium as i mentioned on the previous episode fourth consecutive year they've hosted the afc title game which is pretty pretty incredible level of consistency so you know what was the reaction for either of you guys as the chiefs had that huge lead and they look like they're controlling every aspect they're scoring on every drive they don't score to enter the half so the bengals are kind of lucky to be only down 21 10 at the half um, but just as that second half wore on and the Bengals started locking in on defense. I think just earlier this year when we saw Mahomes was kind of in a slump, like he kind of went like through that again. Second half, he just did not look good, and then overtime, he looked like he was forcing things. And with the Bengals team, they just never give up. They're so young. They all play for each other. I think Joe Burrow's leading that pact with his confidence, and I think they got it done just like based off pure heart. The Bengals' defense just completely adjusted after the second half. And the Chiefs just couldn't make that adjustment, and that's why they won the game. And you don't have to be better to beat the Chiefs, but you have to figure them out. And that's exactly what the Bengals did. And you always think, you know, Mahomes can always find a way to make a play and win the end of the game. And I was so nervous about those overtime rules once the Chiefs won, but the Bengals, the defense, the interception, they just made it happen, and that's how they won. 
Yeah, I agree. I was nervous going into the overtime when the Chiefs won the toss, and I think like most neutral fans in the U.S. was rooting for the Bengals just for the underdog story, and they end up pulling through, getting a stop. Like you mentioned, Austin Mahomes did not look good in the second half or on those three throws that in overtime. I mean, bad throw, bad throw, and then a throw that was dangerous, not necessarily bad. It was just dangerous, and the Bengals made a great play on it. And then they drive down, and of course the Bengals kicker McPherson has ice in his veins. He gets the job done, and just a wild finish. And as you mentioned, Sophia, the Bengals making adjustments. I mean, they, basically the whole second half they rushed three and dropped eight, and it worked perfectly. The the Chiefs just couldn't figure it out. Even though Mahomes had time to throw, he was just uncomfortable. And just a great adjustment by the Bengals. And the the Bengals defense really deserves as much credit as Burrow does, as incredible as he is for for an incredible second half. Uh, just one more question for you guys. I mean, obviously this Bengals team is kind of a surprise being here in the Super Bowl. Do you think this shows cracks in the Chiefs after they were crushing the Super Bowl last year? They get back to the doorstep of it and aren't able to close. Obviously still a great roster. Do you think this says more about the Bengals' future or the Chiefs? I think this says more about the Bengals' future, honestly, because I feel like they're still not even a, a complete team yet. They can be better. Like, this is not even the best version of them. And the Chiefs, obviously, you already said, is their fourth straight time hosting the AFC Championship. This year never felt like their year, even like early on. They just didn't look that good. And inconsistency all year just didn't seem like this would be it. So I think this says more about the Bengals. I give credit to the Bengals. I'm not discrediting the Chiefs, but Bengals definitely have a good future ahead of them. I agree. I think the Bengals, they're a really young team, and they kind of fast-tracked their way to the Super Bowl that people weren't really expecting. So I feel like we can definitely see them in the future, and it kind of just shows that the Chiefs can slip through the cracks, and even though they're the team to beat, it's definitely possible. Absolutely. So that gets us to where we are, but let's let's do the NFC Championship real, game real quick because we have divisional rivals there here in Los Angeles as well, and it looked like both a great crowd on for both sides. I mean, the Niner fans showed up, but so did the Ram fans, just a loud game throughout. And Austin, as a Ram fan, I mean, the Niners were leading this one kind of from the jump. They led 17-7 at one point, and then the Rams get it back to 17-14 in the fourth quarter. But I want to ask you first just about, like, one critical moment where the Rams are still trailing. They need to get momentum. There's about 10 minutes left, and Matthew Stafford throws a deep ball that's just dangerously underthrown directly into the arms of Jaquiski Tart for the 49ers, but he drops it. It just bounces off his chest. Do you think that was a critical turning point? I mean, that was for me like, oh, no, the Niners might not have this one in hand. And just what was your reaction to that? And then as the Rams were able to put the game away with both offense and defense. Yeah, so when obviously when he dropped that pass, I was like, okay, the football gods are on our side. And I know Niners fans are like, oh, he dropped a chance to the Super Bowl and stuff, but like it happens in football. Like Jalen Ramsey dropped a pick right after that. So it wasn't the game deciding play, obviously, but it was a big play. And so after that, I mean, I mean, it changed it immediately because after that we got a big play to OBJ and then a 15-yard penalty. So we were like already on the 49ers territory. So, and then we got another field goal. And I was really nervous, honestly, giving Jimmy G like a minute 30 because it was like week 18 all over again. He had no timeouts, a minute left, drove him down the field. But we actually started getting pressure the last few drives, and I was looking for that all game, and Aaron Donald finally got there and sealed the game, and I was screaming my head off. So it was a good time. Yeah, and Sophia, as a somewhat neutral fan, I mean, what did you see from these Rams? Just, you know, they were 0-6 against the 49ers in their last six meetings, but they've got some new blood on the team in Stafford with his first year and OBJ and Von Miller joining throughout. I mean, what is it? What's the it factor for these Rams? I mean, I just know Sean McVay was so happy to finally get out of that losing streak and the one game that mattered. And I think 
the Rams, they just took it their all and they made it happen. And that's what they're going to need to do um, this weekend in the Super Bowl. Uh, but I definitely think the dynamic duo of Cooper Cup and Matthew Stafford definitely had an impact in that. And just seeing kind of the 49ers just falter um, at the very end of the fourth quarter with the interception from Garoppolo. And they just kind of they just kind of faltered on the field there. Yeah, and it was a good run for San Francisco. I mean, they still have some really impressive players, and they had a good turnaround this year. I expect them to be back, uh, just like I expect Rams, Bengals, Chiefs to be back, but maybe with a new quarterback. Yeah, Jimmy's gone. Yeah, and and that was pretty much understood the minute the game ended, and and he knew it. A good way to leave, though. And the fans knew it. Yeah, I mean, it was a tough ending for him um, just in terms of how the last play went down, and he just didn't have it in the fourth quarter. I mean, I think three of eight passing in the fourth quarter. So, but he had some good times, good memories, and we'll see where he ends up next. So that's what happened in the championship games. Let's move on to the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl, tons of storylines abound. I mean, it's the second consecutive year that the the team hosting it gets to play in their home stadium. A little bit of a twist here in that the Rams have to go into the visitors' locker room, where the Bengals will be in the home locker room, and they'll be wearing the black jerseys, while the Rams will be in their whites. I believe the Bengals got to choose. I wish they got to play in their alternates. If they got to play in orange. That would be pretty cool. But Joe Burrow making the Super Bowl as in his second season is impressive. Only the sixth quarterback ever to do that. Sean McVay's got two Super Bowls now in his two Super Bowl appearances. That is in his first five years as head coach. Very impressive. Matthew Stafford came into the season without a playoff win. All of a sudden, he's in the Super Bowl. So tons of storylines. First thing I wanted to ask you guys is who do you think the best player on the field in the Super Bowl will be? Who should we watch out for Austin I think I already know your answer to this one so why don't you just tell us okay well okay you might know my answer okay so the best player on the field is always Aaron Donald I'll just say that but we already know that so I think the player that's gonna have to produce the most and I think he will is Cooper Cup and I think they will because their corners are not very good like who they put on Eli Apple I mean you guys watch it Cooper Cup's always open he's always open so I think he will produce the most and Aaron Donald will generate pressure, but I think people around him will get more sacks and get better stats because he doesn't always get the credit he deserves. But yeah, got it. I was expecting Cup, so it was a good <laughs> it was a good twist in there. Uh, I mean, if you have the best player on the field on both sides of the ball, that's a pretty good advantage for the Rams. And Cup's arguably been one of the best players in the league this season. Yeah. Donald has been that way for like the last five years, yeah. counting. Sophia, what is your uh, who's your player to watch in the Super Bowl? You know, I have to agree. Um, Cooper Cup, um, he performs really well in high pressure situations. Um, but you know, it's going to be interesting to see how he adjusts to the Bengals' defense, who just took on Kelsey and Tyreek Hill a week ago. So it's going to be a very interesting competition. But I think he's going to do great. Absolutely, yeah. And I don't think the Bengals are going to like stray away from what they did against the Chiefs. I mean, I don't think they're going to bring that many on the rush. Stafford's usually pretty collected under pressure, so I don't think they will help that much. And if they, you know, drop eight again, is that going to have a chance to neutralize Cup in the slot? We'll see. That'll be one of the big things that we're looking for. So those are the couple of the best players. I mean, Joe Burrow obviously goes without saying. He's arguably one of the most talented quarterbacks in the league already, and he's only in his sophomore season. And then, you know, you've got dynamic players on, for both teams on both sides of the ball. What do you guys think is a player or just a unit, whether it be DBs or a line or, or one or the other, that will really be an X factor in this game? Someone that, you know, not everyone's talking about, but could make a huge impact and maybe steal a Super Bowl MVP that, you know, every once in a while, an unsung hero gets that award. Yeah, so I think um, the receivers not named Jamar Chase or OBJ or Cooper Cup are going to be playing a really important role because I hope Jalen Ramsey is covering Jamar Chase the whole game and taking him away. 
But then the Bengals also have Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins, and I'm really worried about that because our second corner is like 5'10", and T. Higgins is like 6'5". So I'm really worried about that. He's very, very good. He's also only in his second year, very underrated player. And then for the Rams, I hope Van Jefferson steps up. Um, he's been playing really well ever since Robert Woods got hurt. He had a good rookie season, so I think those are the receivers to look out for, and they'll have a big impact on the game. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the Bengals, same here. I think maybe Tyler Boyd is going to be interesting to watch. You know, Jalen Ramsey is going to be on Jamar Chase the whole game, and we know why. So someone's going to have to step up. It might be Boyd. It might be someone else, but that's who I got. Yeah, you guys kind of took the words right out of my mouth. I mean, I wanted to say Higgins or Boyd or, or OBJ. I mean, Jamar Chase is incredible. Cooper Cup's incredible. So I think those guys will make huge impacts. I guess – for that one, I'll just say Von Bell um, out of the Bengals secondary. As we mentioned, their secondary hasn't been great all year, but they made big plays last week, and they're going to need to make big plays this week because you know the Rams are going to take their chances to air it out when they can or at least take advantage of open spaces in the field, and it really takes a guy like Bell to, to make you know game-saving plays that we may see, you know, or even him coming on the blitz. So I'm excited to watch that, and you know, what do you guys think are – I mean, we can talk about the X's and O's and the players all day, but, you know, the Super Bowl is just one game, so it can often come down to, to little details, little X factors. Obviously, coaching is going to be a huge thing. The Rams have more experience in that department playing the Super Bowl, but the Bengals have the it factor of being the hottest team in the league, the team that no one expected to be here, and all it takes is you win four games in a row. We've seen it with the Giants of 2007 and 2011. All it really takes is one great run. So who do you think has the advantage in terms of the intangibles and just what they can bring to this game that you can't find on the stat sheet. Um, yeah, I think just the experience level of this team. There's like I think there was like ten players on this ramp team that went to the Super Bowl in 2018, and that heartbreaking loss where we were embarrassed, only scoring three points against Tom Brady. So I think that will be in the back of a lot of players' heads. And I think Sean McVay is just he wants this win really badly. We went all in this year, obviously getting Von Miller, getting OBJ, um, Aaron Donald wants his ring, and I think we're gonna I think we're gonna do it this year, man. Just off pure grit. I mean, the Bengals, they have a good future ahead of them. Like, I'm not saying this is our only chance, but this is this is why we got OBJ. This is why we got Von Miller for this game, and I think we're going to bring it all. So. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be interesting because the Rams definitely do have more experience on the player and the coaching side. But in terms of fans, is it going to be Rams fans? Is it going to be Bengals fans? Like, I don't really know who's going to be packing the stands more. Um, I feel like... I haven't really seen much LA excitement about the Super Bowl. I don't know if it's because it's a week away right now, um, but it's going to be interesting to see the crowd factor and how that's going to impact the play. Um, but I think it'll be definitely interesting to keep that in mind too. Yeah, and the tickets are so exorbitantly expensive that it's it's sad that your average, you know, lifelong fan might not be able to get a seat because you're looking at five six grand for the cheapest tickets in the stadium. So, you know, I wish they would just sell a block of tickets to, you know, season ticket holders for the Bengals, season ticket holders for the Rams who can, you know, are passionate about their team and can get there for an affordable price. But either way, I mean, it's a Super Bowl. It's going to be packed. It's going to be loud. It should be exciting. Uh, yeah, one thing about the Rams that I really want to see from them is please just make an interesting game. That Super Bowl against the Patriots was maddening to watch where kind of all of the country was on their side in that one trying to upset the the big bad Patriots, and it was just a brutal game. I expect this one to be more exciting, but it's hard to live up to these last six playoff games that we've seen. And I do agree that I think the Rams have more experience. I mean, that kind of goes without saying that their coaching staff, their their players, you know, have been gearing up for this. They they built their roster for this title. 
And if they get it, it won't matter how many draft picks they have coming up or whose contract they're losing. You know, a championship makes all that go away. That being said, I think they also have a little more pressure. I mean, the Bengals are playing with house money. They were playing with house money two rounds ago, and they're still here. And, you know, people are writing them off again, which seems to kind of be their calling card. So, you know, that can be taken one way or another. I expect both teams to be prepared. All right. So, you know, a moment of truth as we end our little Super Bowl preview. Rams are picked to win by four points. That being said, the Bengals keep winning, even though they keep being the underdogs. So what do you guys think is going to happen? You know, you don't have to give a final score, but just who you think might win and why or your one thing you're really expecting to see in this game. Um, I will give a final score because I've been thinking about this, but I think it'll be Rams win 34-31. Not maybe, not a game-winning field goal, but maybe like a clutch one like against the Niners. And I think it will be a high-scoring game just because Joe Burrow on the offense is very very dynamic, even though the Rams defense is playing really really well lately. But I think we'll get a late lump, a late fumble, like hopefully in the fourth quarter. I mean, hopefully we're bringing pressure the whole game. That should be our D line is better than their O line, so that should be a factor. And I think it will be a good game, better than the Patriots Rams for sure. Yeah, I don't I don't have a score planned out, but I I do go for the Rams just because they are a veteran team. You know, you have Von Miller, Aaron Donald, um, and Stafford is just the more experienced quarterback. This is his moment. Um, he's a seasoned quarterback. He's had 12 seasons with the Lions. You know, now he's with the Rams. And I just feel like he's going to know how to deal in high-pressure situations. And not that Burrow can't, but I feel like under pressure, Stafford's just going to know what to do. Um, Burrow, it's his only second year with the Bengals. Like I said, they kind of fast-tracked their way to the Super Bowl. Um, they're a team to watch out for, but I just feel like this is Stafford's moment, and I definitely want him to have it. I'll make it a clean sweep. I mean, even though I'm, I don't have any loyalty to the Rams. I'm not from Southern California. I guess Sophia doesn't either. Um, just because I, you know, looking at this matchup on paper, obviously anything can happen on any given game. The Rams could turn the ball over four times, but I just see them having the advantage in the trenches. I see them having the advantage in terms of skill players, and so there's just too many units where they win the battle to say, you know, the Bengals are basically just going to need a lot of luck on their side to win. Not, you know, that happens. But I, I just don't see, you know, I see more scenarios where the Rams win. So I and bring a bring a title to hometown and kind of make up for that Super Bowl loss four years ago. So that's what we've got. A clean sweep for the for the favorites. So, you know, we're really looking forward to it on Sunday. I believe it kicks off 3.30 p.m. Pacific, so 6.30 Eastern. Get your Super Bowl snacks. Everyone will be paying attention to the commercials as well. Should be an exciting one. So that's our Super Bowl preview, but that is not the only storyline in the NFL this week as, you know, it's really been a tumultuous past week since the conference championship games with things happening both good and bad. First, Ben Roethlisberger announces his retirement, which was, you know, expected. Then Tom Brady announces his retirement, first through Adam Schefter, but we thought he might have gotten it wrong, and then Brady announces it on his own terms. So, you know, how did that news impact you guys and just did you expect it? I mean, we always knew Brady was going to go out on his own terms, but it was always a question of, you know, he could keep playing. His body is still holding up. So, you know, what did you guys think of of maybe why he made this decision right now? Yeah, well, he always said he was going to play until he sucks, and he doesn't look like he really sucks right now. But I think this is more a family decision. I mean, his kids are getting older, and his wife wants them to spend more time with him and the kids. And, I mean, no one wants to see their husband going out every Sunday as like a 44-year-old man getting hit every every week. So I think this is just more of a family thing, and I think Tom's a big family guy. And he wanted to go on his own terms, and I think this is a good way. I mean, sometimes if you go out on a Super Bowl, you're like, I want to go back to it again. And so I think it's a good way, and the Rams sent him packing, so that was good. 
Yeah, I think maybe, I don't know what he thought, but maybe he thought his time with the NFL was over and he should kind of experience new things. Like, who knows, maybe he might be a coach. We might see him in the booth. Like, I don't think he's out of the NFL forever. Um, but, you know, I appreciate him coming out and saying those words himself and announcing his retirement on his own terms. Um, it was definitely back and forth with the whole Adam Schefter tweet. And I was like, oh, my gosh, what's going on? But um, I feel like I was surprised that he retired, but also not at the same time because everyone kind of saw it coming at some point. Yeah, absolutely. I think he also, you know, saw maybe the, you know, the Bucks aren't going to win another Super Bowl down the line just because of how good the AFC or the NFC is getting. And just in general, there's a lot of up and comers and he's kind of the last man standing in his generation of quarterbacks. I mean, Peyton Manning, Eli Manning, Drew Brees, Philip Rivers, Roethlisberger and now Brady are all gone. And there's a lot of great guys coming up to take his place. But he was the last man standing. He went out, you know, with a winning season. He didn't win the Super Bowl, but he still had a great year. And no one really can really deny that. So, you know, talking about his legacy and, you know, whether or not he's the greatest quarterback, greatest player of all time might be best saved for another time because, you know, I don't want to bring Brady slander right after his retirement because sometimes I'm I'm one of his bigger critics. But, you know, you can't deny the greatness of 10 Super Bowls. And he seems like he's there every year. He wins seven of those. It's It's just incredibly impressive. So, you know, there was one a little bit weird thing that struck me when he announced his retirement, not only that it was announced a few days before and then he did it himself, um, but this was because, he, you know, he gave a lot of praise to the game and his family and such, but also to the Bucks, you know, for taking him in. And then he was able to win a championship with them, which was incredible in his first year there. But he didn't really say much about the Patriots, you know, the franchise that he spent the vast majority of his career with. They were the ones who picked him in the seventh round and then gave him a chance when Drew Bledsoe got hurt. So um, do you guys think that's, you know, are we reading too much into it to say that it was a bad ending between, you know, Belichick and Robert Kraft and Brady because he didn't thank them even though he spent you know, most of his career there? Um, I think people are looking into it a little too much because, like, this is a retirement speech and he's retiring from the Bucks, not the Pats. And all, the Pats ending, it wasn't as, like, good as he wanted it. But I think when he, like, has his Hall of Fame speech, well, obviously he's going to have, like, a Hall of Fame speech He's going to mention the Pats and Bill Belichick. And, like, so I think he's saving it for that. The media is kind of looking too far into it right now because he did retire with the Bucks, so he's going to thank them. So that's my opinion. Well, if I was a Pats fan, I'd, I'd feel pretty neglected if I wasn't <laughs> mentioned. Um, but he did tweet out a thank you, I believe, to Patriots fans. But, I, I mean, I think it's a little weird, especially since, you know, his almost entire football career is with the Patriots. But, I mean, who knows what he's thinking. So... At least he sent him the tweet, you know? At least they got something. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think it would have been, I don't know if this is not a great comparison, if, you know, MJ paid a lot of thanks to the Wizards fans <laughs> instead of the Bulls. And that's me coming for, as a Chicago guy and a huge Michael Jordan fan. But, yeah, I, I found it a little bit strange. But at the same time, you know, I do respect him for kind of just ending on a high and, you know, not going through the whole farewell tour process, which, you know, he said, he had already said, I think, that he wasn't going to do that. He was going to call it quits when he called it quits. I don't expect him to come out of retirement like one Brett Favre did a few times. So I, I think this is it. This is the last we've seen of him on the field. And, you know, what a way to go out. But, you know, in a little bit more sinister news in the NFL, you know, we've had, I think, eight head coach openings and six coaches have been hired now. But one notably who has not been hired as a head coach is Brian Flores, former Dolphins head coach, who kind of seemed like a head-scratching decision when he was fired. They had a really big turnaround this year and just barely fell short of the playoffs despite starting the year one and seven, but Flores filed a lawsuit 
against the NFL, all 32 teams, a class action lawsuit. This, this news broke back on Tuesday of last week, alleging racial discrimination in the hiring process across the league. And he specifically named the Dolphins, the Giants, and the Denver Broncos, and a couple of individuals, including John Elway, uh, who's now the president of football at the Broncos, and Bill Belichick was in there, and some serious accusations leveled against the owner of the Dolphins, Stephen Ross. He said that Flores said that Ross encouraged him to tamper and basically, you know, get involved with a quarterback that wasn't on their roster in hopes of hiring him. He said Ross offered to pay him under the table to lose football games, a hundred grand per loss. So just a big time bombshell coming against the NFL in time when they were already getting some criticism for not hiring black coaches. I mean, Eric Bieniemy and Flores are guys who, you know, people were in the mix for jobs and still hadn't been hired. And now six coaches have been hired this offseason and they've all been white. So, you know, what was your reaction to this? And and did it surprise you at all? And, and basically Flores is kind of sacrificing his chances of coaching in the NFL in the future. So, you know, what did you guys think when you heard about this lawsuit? Well, the first thing I heard about it was the Giants, um, like, situation. And I just think the Giants have been a mess the last, like, 10 years, and I think this proves it. I mean... How are you going to have an interview with someone and already hire your next head coach? Like, it's just, you don't do that. You don't do that at any company. That's just, like, something you don't do. So, I mean, I think Brian Flores is doing the right thing. He's speaking up for what's right. And, I mean, how are you going to be a head coach for a team and tell your players to lose? Putting their body on the line every Sunday. Like, you can't, you can't, you can't tank in football. That's just not a thing. So, I think it's very wrong with the Giants and Dolphins, and I hope Brian Flores uh, does well in this situation. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really sad, and it's sad that he has to risk his coaching career in the NFL for this because um, he wants change, and, you know, who knows if someone's going to hire him after this. What if, what was the NFL going to do? You know, we know that they don't want to go to court because they don't want everything to become public, so they probably want to settle. Uh, but it just makes you think, like, how many more issues are happening behind closed doors that we don't know about? Um, and it's just, it is a big deal, and there's so much proof. And after seeing those texts with Bill Belichick, I was just in shock. Like, that's crazy. Like, imagine how he feels in that situation. Like, you think you have a chance, and then, you know, you you don't. Like, it's you're being played. So, I don't know. I think it's super sad. It, some, there needs to be change, and I hope that something comes out of this. And if it becomes public, if they go to court, it's going to be really interesting to see, but I just don't know if that's going to happen. Yeah, I I agree. I think Flores said a lot of things that have gone unsaid that people kind of assume to be true in, you know, discrimination in the hiring process and NFL teams taking advantage of the Rooney rule or kind of disregarding it, which is a rule that requires NFL franchises to, you know, have at least one candidate of color for a GM position or for a head coaching position and then kind of treating that as a joke and just interviewing someone with no intention of hiring them. That's what we saw right here in the Giants case and that Bill Belichick knew that Brian Dable had already gotten the job, but he texted Brian Flores thinking he was Dable congratulating him. So Flores knew after the fact, wow, they really interviewed me already knowing they weren't going to hire me. So just, you know, pretty serious accusations. John Elway has denied the accusations that he was, I think, hung over for his interview with Dable for the Broncos job years ago. And the NFL called it without merit initially. So they denied it, of course. Why wouldn't they? But then after the fact, I think it was pretty telling when Roger Goodell, the commissioner, sends a memo to all of the NFL franchises and about diversity and saying it's been unacceptable how basically there hasn't been diversity in any of these hires and we still haven't had a black 
or head coach or a head coach of color hired in this cycle when there have been so many openings. So I think that was kind of to some degree an omission of guilt, not necessarily meaning that Flores is going to win this case. I think it's going to be a tough case for him to win. I mean, I'm not a legal expert, but it's kind of you know hearsay. I don't know if he's going to be able to prove the Stephen Ross allegations or that he certainly can't prove that John Elway was hung over for the interview. Yeah. So those are going to be tough for him to win. And it is sad that he had to kind of sacrifice his future prospects for it. But he's basically speaking up for a whole group that, that thinks this is true of the NFL, that the owners aren't treating coaches of color fairly and that they have a shorter leash when they are hired. So do you guys have anything else uh, on that lawsuit as it moves forward? just going to be interesting to see how it pans out and if anyone else will come forward you know right i think we have had some some general managers of color hired my own bears hired ryan poles as our gm which should be exciting and but you know i expected the enemy eric the or brian flores or another black head coach to be hired at this point it just hasn't happened so pretty surprising and uh and that was that was definitely the biggest news of the past week but one other piece of news that we'll touch on real quick before we call it a show is that the Washington football team formerly known as the Washington Redskins uh, finally has a new name they were called the football team for two years and owner Dan Snyder and the franchise announced their new name and it's the Washington Commanders they stuck with the same color scheme so they still have like the dark red and gold as their color scheme which makes things easy the but they are the commanders and I know they've gotten a lot of flack for it on social media so what did you guys think of of this name change, the the logos, just the whole look, and should they have gone in a different direction? I actually don't think it's like that bad of a name, Washington Commanders. I don't really like the uniforms or the logo that much, but I'm also not like a Washington football team fan, so I didn't really care that much. But I mean, good thing they're not the Washington football team anymore, because like that's just kind of whack. So happy for them, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they were getting seriously roasted on Twitter. It was kind of funny seeing all of the memes. But I have to agree, I don't think it's that bad. I think it's really easy to jump on the bandwagon of like, this sucks. Oh my gosh, like how could they do this? But I feel like there could have been worse options. And I'm not saying that it's good. Like, I don't know if I want my team to be the commanders, but it's not the worst thing in the world. It might take some getting used to for people. Um, they were kind of rolling it out pretty cool. They had like Teslas going around, you know, promoting the team, which I thought was cool. But I just kind of feel bad for the PR and the media people. Like, I don't know how they're going to bounce back from this, but it's definitely interesting. They took two years. They said they did focus groups and I don't know. I mean, they must have known that it wasn't going to go well, but I guess here we are as, as the commanders. Yeah, I don't think it's that bad in that they're based in the nation's capital. And so it's kind of a military reference, but also... People are saying, you know, it's based in the nation's capital. It's a red and yellow team, and people are just going to shorten it to the commies. So that would be pretty humorous. I, I think there were better options out there. I heard yeah. the Red Wolves being thrown around, which it kind of sounds like an arena football team name, but so does the Commanders. And then the Red Tails I thought was their best option because it's kind of a reference to the Tuskegee Airmen, and they could have kept the same color scheme, which they did anyway. But I thought that would have been really cool, really unique. You don't have... A lot of teams named that. So instead, they took a name which has been used before. I mean, the AAF San Antonio Commanders had this name. Uh, I guess don't have it trademarked because the AAF doesn't exist anymore. Um, but they are the Washington Commanders for the future, and I, I guess we'll just have to get used to calling them that instead of just the football team or WFT that we've been trying to get used to for the past two years. 
All right, that's all we've got in NFL news. I have one last question to push you guys on the spot before we head into Super Bowl Sunday. What is your guys' favorite Super Bowl snack that you will either be making or hoping that someone brings to your Super Bowl party? Ooh, definitely nachos. My mom makes the best nachos with guacamole and sour cream and chips. I'm so excited. Hopefully, hopefully she'll whip it out on Sunday. Yeah, definitely a big nachos guy, but I mean, chicken wings on Super Bowl is like tradition. So I'm definitely looking forward to that. Those are both great. I think I'm going to go with either jalapeno poppers Oof. or like stuffed potato skins. Uh, I'll give the edge to the potato skins if they're made with like cheese and bacon. So, you know, Super Bowl Sunday is not about eating healthy. Yeah. And you know, I'm excited to to indulge and hopefully have a good crowd i don't i don't think i know a ton of rams or Bengals fans so we'll just see what the general vibe is um you know with my housemates i'm sure i know what austin's going to be doing on sunday he's probably going to be more stressed than the rest of us who are just hoping for a good game yeah all right guys thanks for joining us uh on this episode of sports waves that's all for us on this episode of Sports Waves. My name is Carl Winter, and I was your co-host today, and I was joined by my co-host, Austin Ledet. You can follow us on Twitter, at SportsWavesPod, for updates on the podcast, new episodes, and some chatter about pro sports. Again, that's at SportsWavesPod on Twitter. Sports Waves is a Pepperdine Graphic Media podcast production. You can follow Pepperdine Graphic Media on Twitter and Instagram, at PepGraphic. That's at P-E-P-P Graphic for updates on other PGM podcasts and all Pepperdine Graphic Media content. You can also find us at our website, pepperdine-graphic.com, or on Spotify, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening. Have a fantastic week, and enjoy Super Bowl Sunday.